God so loves relationship that he created you and me. God so loved relationship that he wasn't content just to be out there in some cosmic space with his own company for eternity. He wanted to share who he is, his nature, his love, his heart. So he created the world and into that world, the pinnacle of his creation is human beings. And we went our own way and we did our own thing and we broke, we disconnected ourselves from God and from each other and from the creation. But God so loved relationship that he sent his only son to repair that disconnection and to be the bridge between us and him so that we could be restored again in relationship. But not only that, God invites us then to be part of his story, which is a redemptive story, looking to see the whole planet redeemed back to its original state. And to me, that's a much bigger, more exciting adventure than any Star Wars film. That we get to be a part of that. And that means that we get to be a part of this struggle between light and dark and good and evil and hope over despair. But we're not at the centre of the story. He is. And I want to share four things from the Star Wars movies, which I think are principles, which actually are really consistent with what God would want to say about our story as it's part of his story, okay? The first thing is this, extraordinary things can come from ordinary and unlikely places. If you're a Star Wars fan, you'll know of the planet Tatooine. It's really very harsh and it's desolate and it's full of robbers and thieves and, and, and the Empire and the Rebellion pretty much ignore it. But from this unlikely place, Anakin Skywalker, the main, perhaps one of the main central characters, appears. His son Luke, the other big central character, and the, the, um, the, the pirate, the smuggler, Han Solo, he's discovered there. Three of the biggest characters in the whole film come from the most unlikely place. John chapter 1. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one. We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? This is like Tatooine. This is this planet where nothing good comes from it. It's, it's just like, it's extraordinary that God would choose that. Nathaniel asked, come and see. Nathaniel asked him, come and see, said Philip. Jesus' call into the great story for mankind is that he began in this most unlikely place, Nazareth. And then he calls people who are the most unlikely people from the most unlikely places to follow him into this cosmic story. And he used the phrase often, follow me. And we're going to look at that in a moment. Now he called people who were not at all religious. So Matthew the tax collector was one of the guys that Jesus called, not at all religious. The furthest away from religious that you can imagine. But he also called people who were religious because they believed in God, but they weren't great at being religious. They kind of couldn't keep all the rules. Anyone here like that? And let's just see how good you are at keeping all the rules, okay? So put your hand up if you own more than one Bible, okay? Yeah, you're really spiritual. Put your hand up if you only listen to Christian music. Okay, interesting. If the ringtone on your phone is a worship song, okay? If you've ever worn a Christian t-shirt, yeah, more of you. If you never say bad words, even when you're cut up on the road, 
Yeah, right, okay. If you read Leviticus every morning just before breakfast, yeah, not so much on that one. You see, the reality is we're not that great at keeping all the rules. But do you know what? That's brilliant because Jesus doesn't want you just to keep all the rules. Jesus doesn't want you to be a rule keeper. Jesus wants you to be in relationship. You see, religion says you change and then you get to follow him. But Jesus says, no, you follow me and then you'll get to change. And, and, And look at this with me. Peter was one of the guys that Jesus first asked to follow him. And he was, and it was an, an ordinary and an unlikely person, Jesus. And I'll show you why, uh, Peter, in a, in a minute. In Matthew 4, and Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Now why this is so unusual and unlikely is because Peter and Andrew, his brothers, were Jews. Now, I'm going to ask the band to come and join me. They've already done it once, so they'll know the drill. So they're going to come and they're going to represent Jewish young lads, okay? Sorry, Abby. But Jewish young lads, okay? Now, basically, what happens, and I've done this for you before, so many of you have seen this, but it's important that we remind ourselves. What would happen was that the goal of every good Jewish young boy was to be chosen by the rabbi to be one of his disciples or followers, and so at the age of six, the lads would go into rabbi school. And the first stage of that was called Bates Affair. It lasted for four years until they were 10. Between the ages of six and 10, their goal is to learn, memorize the five books of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And not, not just Genesis, Exodus, not just the names, but the whole content of them. Can you imagine that? So seven, eight, nine-year-olds are learning and memorizing that. At the age of 10, the rabbi comes along and he tests them all to see what their memory is like and to see how good they are. But you know what? We'll go a different way. He says to these two fellas here, do you know what, boys? You are good, but you're not that good. So actually, we don't think this is for you. So you haven't made the cut, as it were. So go back to the family business and off they go. All right? No, they're useless. No, they're not. They're not. So to the rest, this is now you're the best out of this group. So you come into the second stage, which is called Beit Talmud. And so between the age of 10 and about 14, not only are you guys going to actually learn, the, the, you know, go over the Torah, but you're going to learn all the other books as well of the Old Testament between the age of 10 and 14. Can you imagine that? You're going to memorize it all. So it's not just Star Wars facts, Dylan, but actually you're going to memorize all the books of the Bible. Amazing. And then he'd come along at 14 and he said, you know what? And he'd test them all, but he said, you know, I'm not sure that you two guys can make it. So what you do is that you go back to the family business, Okay. Now we've got the best of the best. <laughs> the best of the best, which is amazing. So then they go into another school, the last one, I want to get this right, which is called Beit Midrash. Now they're not only being tested on the scriptures, but they're being tested on the teachings of the rabbi. Because the rabbi, each rabbi has a set of teachings, which is called a yoke. It's where the Bible is interesting. And so take my yoke upon you, set of teachings. So they're being tested because actually in their heart, what they want to do, they don't want to just be like the rabbi, They don't just want to know what the rabbi knows. They want to follow him and they want to become just like him. They don't just want to know what he knows. They want to be like who he is and they want to do what he does. But he comes along and he tests them all. And then he says, do you know what? I'm not sure that you've made it. You've been in here since you were six and you've learned all those books. But you need to go back to making banners and (laughs) T-shirts. That's what he does. But then he says to these two, you now are the best of the best of the best which is amazing looking at these two. I'm not joking, I'm joking. It's just an illustration. 
And here's the amazing thing. What then the rabbi says to these two Jewish lads is this, this phrase, now follow me. Isn't that amazing? So when Peter and Andrew, who may well have been, probably were in school at some point, got cut out because they weren't good enough, when Jesus the rabbi comes along and says, follow me, they immediately leave their nets because they know what it means. Even though I couldn't cut it with religion, this rabbi thinks that I can do it and I'm going to follow him into the story. Give him a round of applause. Thank you, guys. Isn't that amazing? And this, I love this. Because following Jesus and being part of his story, this cosmic story, the battle between light and, and dark and good and evil and hope over darkness, isn't about how much you know. It isn't about how good you are at keeping the rules. It's just about you following Jesus. And as you follow him, then he changes you. And as you follow him, you want to keep the, 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 the parameters and the, and the guidelines. Not because you have to, but because you want to. But it isn't about you trying to do it. It's about God doing it through you. And when you say yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to be part of God's cosmic story. Extraordinary things will happen from ordinary and unlikely places. So the place that you were born is no obstacle to God. You know, whether, whatever your tattooing is, God can take you out of that and can make you amazing. The circumstances of your background are no obstacle to God. I love the story in the Old Testament of the guy called Gideon. And God calls him into his story. And Gideon says, but I'm the weakest in the least important tribe. And the word weakest means messy or disheveled hair. And least means runt. So I'm the runt in the bad hair day tribe of Israel. And it's like, these are my circumstances. And God says, yeah, but I think you're a mighty warrior. Because I can call extraordinary out of the most ordinary and unlikely places. And your hurts and your setbacks and your pain and your disappointment is also no obstacle to God. And you may think right now that I'd love to be part of God's cosmic story, but I've got too much hurt and I've got too much pain and I've got too much disappointment. All of that pain and hurt and disappointment is just rehearsal for what God wants to use that for in his redemptive story. You see, what you've been through in your life, when you say yes to God, whatever you've been through, the good, the bad and the ugly, all of the painful stuff gets redeemed and restored back. And actually what God does is says, that's just rehearsal for what I want to do in you and through you because your story is going to help set somebody else free. That's the amazing thing. You know, and so you've been through a divorce in the pain of that. And I get that in that sense. But actually that is, in one sense, God is going to use that in a redemptive way so that you can be there for someone else. So that you can tell your story about what God did in your life after that. You've been through the loss. You've been through grief. You've been through pain. You've been through separation or rejection. All of that in some ways is rehearsal. But when God uses that as part of his redemptive story to lead others into relationship with him. So don't rule yourself out when God rules you in. The most extraordinary things can come from ordinary and unlikely places. Secondly, we all need an effective weapon. And fortunately, ladies and gentlemen, this morning I have one. Just wanted to do this my whole life. And you know what this is? A lightsaber. Look, if you listen, it's got a little... It's not that spectacular, to be fair. This is a lightsaber. Uh, Obi-Wan describes it as an elegant weapon. In the hands of a, of a Jedi master, it cuts through steel. It deflects blazer lasts, blasts and all of this. And every Jedi knows that when they've got this in their hand, they're kind of like indestructible. But when they haven't, they're very vulnerable and very weak. They're in deep trouble. George Lucas himself, the creator of Star Wars, he wrote this. I see Star Wars as taking all the issues that religion represents and trying to distill them down into a more modern and easily accessible construct. 
I put the force into the movie in order to try to awaken a kind of spirituality in young people. More a belief in God than in a particular religious system. I wanted to make it so that young people would begin to ask questions about the mystery. Interesting stuff. But you know, we don't have to ask questions about the mystery because the Bible's really clear. In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, the Bible says that we're in a battle and we need some effective weapons. It says this, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Paul in the book of Ephesians says we're in a battle, not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities. I don't know about you, but when I watch the TV these days, I'm more and more aware that we're in a battle, aren't you? There are forces at work and we need an effective weapon, not a lightsaber, but we need something much more effective than that. So what is in our weapon army? Let me just give you a few. Firstly, the Bible. Interestingly, lightsabers in the the early scripts of Star Wars weren't called lightsabers, they were called laser swords. They were called laser swords and that was changed to lightsabers. It's interesting because the Bible says of itself that the Bible is what? Is a... A sword. Anyone ever done sword drill if you went to Sunday school when you were a kid? you remember what that was? Someone read out a Bible verse and you quickly turn it up and then you hold your Bible up like as a sword to say, I've got it first. It'd be on your phone now, wouldn't it? Or on your tablet. But actually, the Bible is our sword. It's our weapon. It's what Jesus used in the desert when he was being tempted from, from the enemy, from the devil. That's what he used. That's the, his weapon. Because the Bible is the truth of who we are and who God is and who we are in relationship to God. If you don't know the Bible, if you don't read the Bible, you are going out into a battle without a weapon. You are going out into a battle without a weapon, a weapon that is far more powerful than any lightsaber. And if you don't know the Bible and you don't get the Bible into you, then actually you're going out into the battle defenseless because you don't have that weapon. And what I think is so inspiring is that when you have the Holy Spirit within you, which is another of the weapons that we've got, then what the, what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit brings to your mind the truths that you've read in the Bible. And that's how it works. But if you don't read them, the Holy Spirit hasn't got a lot to work with. And so what I've often found in my life is that all of a sudden I'm reading the Bible and it looks like nothing's going in. Anyone ever felt like that? Like loads of times. But in a certain moment that I'm in, then somehow a verse from the Bible, a principle from the Bible comes out. The Holy Spirit takes what I've put into me, even though nothing seemed to stick, the Holy Spirit takes it out and there it is. And I think many of us are in those battle situations and we don't understand the power of the weapons that we have. When the Holy Spirit and when the Bible come together, it's dynamic. When I was heading out to Bulgaria just a few weeks ago, I was reading a book on the plane. And um, um, the book was by a guy called Louis Giglio, uh, who some of you will have heard of. He's an American preacher. And he tells a story in the book. And and he's talking about the fact that God prepared a table in the presence of your enemies. Okay, And he talks about this table being a table for two. And it's like you and God. Okay, And he he tells a story that he was in London. He's an American guy. He was in London with his wife. And it, and it was their wedding anniversary and um, while they were on holiday in London. And um, so he, him and his wife went out to their favourite restaurant in London. And they've got a table for two because it's their wedding anniversary. And they're sat facing each other and it's all romantic and it's a table for two. And then a guy walks through the restaurant who recognises Louis Giglio. He's a very famous Christian communicator. And he came up to him and says, oh, you're Louis Giglio. I've read your books. And he pulls a chair up and sits down by them and stays for nearly an hour talking to them. And in the book, Louis Giglio says, really nice guy. Nothing was wrong. But I was sitting there thinking, 
you shouldn't be here. This is a table for two and you don't belong here. And then he goes on to say that that's exactly what happens in our own spiritual lives. God has designed and designated a table for two, but we allow the enemy to pull up a chair. He's not saying this guy was the enemy. It's an illustration. We allow the enemy to pull up a chair and then the enemy joins in the conversation. And if we don't know the Bible, if we don't have those weapons, we allow the enemy's voice to shape the conversation rather than God's. And I read this and I was reading this on the plane on the way over. And then during the week that we were there, there was a few things that happened. And there was a moment when I really felt like, I don't know, I couldn't explain it. I felt really cross. I felt very out of myself. And I needed to go and be on my own for a bit and get to grips with some stuff. And over the period of seeking God and just taking a little bit of time, God spoke to me and said, what you've done, Leon, is you've allowed the enemy to pull up a seat at your table. And he's began to speak some words into the conversation that shouldn't be there. You need to get him gone and you need to know who you really are and blah, 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 blah. And it was a real catalytic moment for me because I realized that without the weapons being used, we're very vulnerable to the enemy speaking into the conversation. Stephen Furtick said, the voice you believe will determine the future you experience. So I want to encourage you guys, if you're not reading your Bible, start. Just start a few minutes every day. Just start a few minutes every day. Nothing might seem to go in, but the Holy Spirit at work within you will bring it to your memory just when you need it. We've got the Holy Spirit. We've got the Bible. We've also got worship, both personally and corporately. Let me just say a word about corporate worship. I heard this story years ago, which I love. I think it's so clear. And it's a very, very old story. And uh, it, this pastor of a church recognized that, realized somebody in the church just hadn't been for weeks and weeks and weeks to church. And so I went to visit them. And as he's there, he goes into the living room and he sits down and he's starting to talk to the guy. And, and it's an old coal fire. And, and, and as he's talking to the guy, he's listening to the guy tell all these different reasons why he's not coming to church now and this and that and all these different things. I don't need church and I've got God and all, all this kind of stuff that we've all heard a million times. And, and, he, and he sees the coals all on fire and then one coal has fallen off and it's on its own. And he notices during the conversation that it's grown cold. So the rest are red hot, but that one's not. So he, just, he doesn't say a word. He just goes over and he takes the coal. doesn't even need tongs because he just takes it with his fingers and he puts it back on the fire and he goes and sits down and they watch that, other, that coal begin to catch flame again. And as he's doing that, he just looks at the man and the man looks at the coal and the, and the light comes on and the man says, okay, I get it. And the pastor walks out and goes out. Because the point is, you might be doing great. You might be doing great, but if you take yourself away from the fire too long, you will soon be going cold. One of the great weapons we have in our army, which keeps us spiritually alert and alive, is when we gather corporately together and when we hear God and we experience God and we encounter God together. You cannot podcast an experience. Listen to the talk by all means, but the experience of being together and worshipping God together is one of the effective weapons that you and I have. Amen? So we all need an effective weapon. Number three, even the best of us can fall. I love this theme out of the Star Wars movies. Even the best of us can fall. The central villain of the piece is called Darth Vader. He wasn't always bad. When we see him in the films first early on, now I always get the order of this wrong. The first ones, which were four, five, and six, and the second ones, which were one, two, three. Oh, it's just so confusing. All that. When we see Darth Vader, okay, before we see the wider story, he's the villain. He's the, the one who, destroy, who, murders, who destroys parents and murders subordinates and tortures his own children. But he used to be good. 
He used to be good, but he's fallen. He was the Jedi Knight, Anakin Skywalker, a great hero, but pride, anger, and unresolved issues led him to the dark side. Even the best of us can fall. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure. You know, I've been around long enough to have sat with loads of people who have found themselves in a situation where they were doing so well with God and so well in life. And here they are now over in this situation. They never dreamt or imagined they could end up there, but they did. Even the best of us can fall. How do we remain strong in the battle? How do we remain who we want to be and who God sees us to be? We need to be honest about our weaknesses and about our temptation. We need to ask for help. We need to ask ourselves, where will this lead if I keep going down this track? We need to remind ourselves of our values. And we need to watch the condition of our soul. You know, when you're hungry, anything on the menu looks good, doesn't it? When you're that hungry, you'll eat anything. And when the condition of your soul is such that it's kind of empty and, and a little bit kind of you know, unhealthy, then you'll, you'll go for anything. We need to watch the condition of our soul. The grass isn't greener next door, folks. It's greener where you water it. And what we often do is we allow ourselves to get so run down and so tired and so vulnerable that then, then anything looks good. And before you know where we are, we've fallen. Even the best of us can fall. Final thing is this. It's never too late for redemption. Plot spoiler, if now you want to go and watch all 34 films or however many there are, there's a lot of them. Plot spoiler, at the end of Return of the Jedi, when all, when seem all hope is lost, Darth Vader sacrifices himself to save his son and to defeat the emperor. He thought he was too far gone for redemption. But there's a powerful message from the words of his own son. And I'm going to read the text to you from the script. Darth Vader, the emperor has been expecting you. Luke says, I know, Father, Vader, so you have accepted the truth. Luke, I've accepted the truth that you were once Anakin Skywalker, my father. Vader, turning to face him dramatically, that name no longer has any meaning for me. And this is what Luke says. It is the name of your true self you've only forgotten. I know there is good in you. The emperor hasn't driven it from you fully. That is why you couldn't destroy me. And that's why you won't bring me to your emperor now. It's in that little moment that Luke looks at him and says, Listen, I know who you are on the inside. It's never too late for redemption. Basically, what he's saying is that there's an original intention of you, but you've allowed yourself to so pull away from that that you're now on the dark side. But inside you, there is an original intention and it's good. And interestingly, the, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Redemption is a Bible word. It literally means that, that what happens is that we're saved from what we've become and return to what we're originally created to be. It's, it's, it's out of the, 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 um, the world of slavery. Like originally, like, like, like you're created a free person, but someone's enslaved you. Redemption, to be redeemed, means that we bring you out of slavery and return you to your original state of freedom. And it's like Luke's looking at his father and says, you were good, you were Anakin, but you've gone to another place, but you can be redeemed. 
And I love that about the Christian story, don't you? It is never too late to be redeemed. It's never too late to come back from the brink. I want to say to you guys, if any of you are contemplating stuff in your life right now, it's never too late for redemption. Don't allow yourself to go so far that you cross over that line. Right at that point, God can redeem you. God can bring you back. God can restore you. And you know, it's never too late. Maybe for some of you this morning, for the first time, like the man on the cross, the Bible says when Jesus was crucified, there were two thieves crucified either side of him. One insulted him a lot, but one turned to him and engaged with him. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. This guy found redemption right at the end of his life for the very first time. That's the gospel message. But you can also find redemption, not just for the first time, but for the hundredth time. Not like the man on the cross, but like the man on the beach. You remember the man on the beach we're talking about is Peter, who when Jesus called him to follow him, he did for three years. And then towards the end, when Jesus is, is arrested and crucified, Peter denies uh, uh, Jesus three times, uh, like Jesus told him he would. And he ends up, you know, just, just, just a failure and defeated and disappointed. And Jesus is crucified. Peter returns to the family business of fishing. And the resurrected Jesus meets him. And in that moment, he says, now will you follow me again? Doesn't tell him off, doesn't chastise him, just says, do you love me, Peter? Peter says, you know I love you, then follow me. They were the same words that he said right at the beginning. Doesn't matter how you've fallen or where you've fallen, what really matters is that you get up again and that you follow him again. So you messed up, so what? That's what he says. So get up again and go again. It is never too late for redemption, whether it's for the first time or whether it's for the hundredth time. That's the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So now it's over to you. Are you up for being part of God's story? Are you up for being part of this story that revolves not around you, but around Jesus? That is a cosmic story in the struggle over light, over dark, over good, over evil, hope, over despair. I know I am. I don't want to give myself to anything else other than this story. If you are, I'd love you to stand with me as we finish. So why don't we stand together if you're up for this and I want to pray for you this morning. So let's stand and we're going to sing an amazing song in a moment which, which just talks about light and dark and uh, victory and, and where we are ultimately. And the great thing about the Christian message is this. You know, one of the great things that we know how it works out in the end, don't we? You know, you see a great movie and then it, it leaves you hanging on the end. You know there's going to be a sequel and you don't know what happens or you watch a box set or something. We know how it works out at the end. We know. But we've still got to work it out. We've still got to live it out. We've still got to battle it out. And it's going to take men and women like you and me, ordinary people from unlikely places with unlikely backgrounds who grab their weapon, not their lightsaber, but their Bible and the Holy Spirit and worship. And they go for it. And they bring light where there's darkness. And they bring good where there isn't so much good. And they bring hope where there's despair. So I want to pray for you and then we're going to sing as we finish. Father, thank you for inviting us into this incredible story. Your story of the redemption of planet Earth. God, that's amazing. Lord, now would you fill us with your Spirit? Would you inspire us again? Would you send us out? to be your people, to be the people who, who are the people of the cross, who understand what it is to live in the tension, as we heard last week, between the curse and the promise, and, and to look forward to the end that we know is secure. But God, in the meantime, we need to work it out and we need to do all we can to bring heaven to earth. 
God, thank you that you don't let us do it on our own. You don't allow us to do that. You join, it's your story. You're at the center of it. So now, God, would you fill us with your spirit as we declare these incredible truths as a community together today. In Jesus' name, amen.